these people. The one sacrificial lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Sound familiar? In verses 7 through 11, notice Moses is going to get some instructions. My point this evening, instructions for eating. Again, we looked at this last week, but I found some more wonderful things that I want to draw your attention to. They had to take the blood of this lamb and they had to to put it on the doorpost and the lintel. That was their responsibility. Verse 7, they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts, and then on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So again, as the blood is applied on the door, they're making this cross. Very interesting when you think about the doorpost and the lintel. They're making a cross out of the blood. And when they would walk in and out, as I mentioned last week, not only that day, but that month, and maybe several months later, they would walk through the door and they'd see that blood, that blood. They were delivered by that blood. And, and again, they're going to leave Egypt, but they'll be practicing this Passover every year. They still do it today. So these people are reminded again of this great sacrifice of this spotless lamb. And then notice that they're told to barbecue or roast it, not eat it raw. Verse 9, do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roast it in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. They, they weren't to break or divide the lamb. Remember Jesus went to the cross. He, he paid for the penalty of our sins. His bones were not broken like was the custom for most that were crucified. He's whole. So they, they have this animal and, and they're to eat it whole. That's really what that's saying there. And then you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains until morning shall be burnt with fire. And the idea of eating it all was they had to make a decision at that point to be obedient and by faith eat that animal and receive that sacrifice. Just as when you come to Christ, you don't take a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of religion, a little bit of the church and call yourself saved. No, It's like we sang tonight. I stand with my arms lifted, my heart abandoned. I surrender all to you, Lord. That's the only way you can come to Christ is by surrendering all. So they were not to eat a bit of it. They were to eat it all, and then they were to burn the rest of it with fire the next morning. And back in verse 8, again, it's interesting. They're commanded to eat it with this second feast. This is a separate feast, but it's... It coincides with the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread there. They were to eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Again, eating the unleavened bread for the Jew meant that there was no time to to put leaven in it and let it rise. I'm going to talk a little bit more about leaven as we move through our study tonight. We didn't really get to that last week. But they didn't have time to make their bread and and have their bread rise and then bake it. They were in a hurry. They, the, the end of this Passover, you're going to see, they're going to eat, they're going to get kicked out of the land. they got to go. There's no time. And then the bitter herbs as well. There's The bitter herbs were a reminder that they were in bondage there in Egypt. It was a bitter time for them as a people. So they were to eat it and, and, and really quickly, and then look at verse 11. And you're going to eat it with a belt on. In other words, you're fully dressed, you have sandals on your feet, you're staffing, you're ready to go, you're going to make haste, it's the Lord's Passover. So again, when the Passover is given, when it's taken, it's done the same way even today, the Passover feast. People are reminded about this specific incident in their history. All of these things are symbolic and important 
there, there are ways that God could continue to communicate his deliverance for his people. It wasn't really Moses that delivered the people, was it? It was, it was God. God's doing all the work here. But they're being delivered. They've been in bondage. They're in sin. They're in Egypt. And now they're being delivered out of that. And so all of these things were reminder. They're symbolism to communicate their deliverance. And then at the end of verse 11, it is the Lord's Passover. The Passover is the Lord. Why? Because he provided it all. He did all of the plagues. He he caused the... Moses just prayed Moses was just the prophet in this sense. God was doing all the work to deliver his people. God is rescuing his people here in the Passover. He's delivering Israel from bondage and sin. Again, I ask the question, sound familiar? So it's the Passover. This story provides a backdrop for you and I to understand even clearer the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 said this, look at this verse. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And when we read this description of the Passover, that's what I love about Exodus 12. It just points to Jesus Christ. Again, that's why I use the phrase sound familiar. As you read the story, you go, wow, yeah, oh, wow. Oh, I get it, I understand. And, 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 and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's kind. Remember, even in the plagues that were, got gradually worse and worse and, until they killed some of the Egyptians, God gave them merciful pre-announcements over and over. He gave them uh, an opportunity, even in this last one, to be obedient. The Gentiles, the Egyptians, had that same uh, opportunity. Just as the sacrificial lamb would be brought into the home of the Israelites, Jesus. Jesus came and he, he became one of us. The eternal God left his throne in heaven and became one of us, living in our home, living in our world, and becoming that sacrificial lamb. He became one of us like a babe. Each family had to have a spotless lamb in this story, and we have the same in our homes. We have Jesus represented in the Word of God, represented by other Christians in our home. I, I, you know, I grew up in a home, it was very moral. Uh, my parents were super nice, but they just didn't go to church. Very kind-hearted, very moral people, but they did not. They were not Christians. But I had an aunt, and and that aunt went to this Nazarene church here in town, and that aunt prayed for for her nephew. And I, up until the time she died, she used to smile and say, "I used to pray for you." Every home. Who prayed for you? Who, who was in, the, in your family that prayed for you? I've I, I met subsequently, I've met other family members that I didn't even know existed that were really wonderful Amish people up in Idaho in a farm. I didn't even know they were my relatives. And yet I found out that they were praying for me and my family. You, you never know how your influence in, an, in another person's life through prayer, it's a beautiful thing. But each family, again, 
had this lamb that they brought into their home for a few days and then it was killed. It was sacrificed to give them life. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was spotless. He knew no sin. 1 Peter 1.19, this is a great verse. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. What a great way to describe our Lord Jesus. And it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that our sins can be atoned for. Hebrews 9.22, notice, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This had to happen. This is God's plan from the very beginning. You remember when we studied Genesis a couple of years ago. And when God came down to spend his evening with Adam, as he did every day, Adam, where are you? And where was Adam? Remember, he's hiding under a bush. Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat of? And yeah, Adam was busted. He was a sinner. And what did God do right after that to cover his sin? He killed an animal. Blood was shed, and he covered Adam and Eve with the animal skin. This plan of, of shedding of blood for remission of sins is God's plan. Costly, isn't it? Your sin and my sin, very expensive. Cost my Lord his life, and he died for me. Again, these Israelites in this Passover, they had to roast their lamb with fire. Again, fire, throughout the Bible, you see fire in the Old Testament. We see it in Revelation. Fire comes down as judgment, right? Fire is judgment. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And while on the cross, the fire and wrath of God's judgment came upon him for your sin, for mine. Again, sound familiar? I did just the story. It's just, it's uncanny. I, I don't know how many times I've read it, but every time I read it, I see things, and I'm so grateful for what my Lord has done for me, even through reading this wonderful story. The, the result of the Passover, the result of the complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross sets the believer free, sets the captive Egyptian free from bondage and sin. That's the result. That's what God's doing. He's delivering. He's redeeming. And my next point here, it, it, it happens through the blood, protection through the applied blood. The blood had to be applied. You had to do something with it. And I, I love this truth here, verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the man and beast, and notice, against all the gods of Egypt. You've heard me say that over and over through this study. And I've shown you the pictures, right, of these different gods. Because God was going against Pharaoh who said, who is God? I have a God. I am a God. I don't need you. You want to know who I am? I'll show you. Boy, did God ever show him. Over and over he showed him, and he showed all the people, all the Egyptians, and now they're going to be sick and tired of these, these people. They're afraid for their own lives, finally, and they kicked the or all the uh, Israelites out of their country. Now this, or the blood, shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And I love this. When I see the blood, when I see the blood on your house, when I see the blood applied, when I see your obedience, when I see that you, by faith, did what I told you to do, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
So Israel is going to be spared by the, this deadly judgment because God sees the blood. He sees their obedience. Christian, I mean, I wish I could screen this out, but do you understand what this means? I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're thinking. Holy Spirit knows exactly what's going on, but have you put yourself under the blood? Or are you living life on your own? Have you put yourself under the blood? When God looks at you now, does he see the blood of Jesus Christ or does he see just somebody living their life and going to church and whatever? Have you eaten the whole sacrifice that's been given? Or did you just take a bit, a little piece of Jesus, just for your life insurance purpose? You've got to apply the blood. That's really what this is. Be obedient to the Lord. Again, it was the blood of the Lamb and the obedience of the people to take that blood and place it on that doorpost and lintel by obedience. If they didn't believe, if they didn't obey, they'd be judged. If an Egyptian believed and made the Passover sacrifice, then he wouldn't be judged. This is a beautiful truth. And as a Gentile, most of us are Gentiles in here. I'm not even going to ask how many are Jews. I guess we can go on one of those websites, you know, send a blood sample and find out if we are. I've always wondered, maybe one of these days I'll spend the money and find out. I'd love to know that. I really doubt it, though. Uh, but again, these people... They had to act by faith. And if an Egyptian act by faith in obedience to God, he as well could be saved. He wouldn't suffer the plague. But the only protection for anyone was the applied blood of the lamb. They had to put it on the door by faith. Again, for you and I tonight, this speaks perfectly. I believe that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, that this story, the Passover, just is a representation or a symbol of the coming Messiah, Jesus, who did already come and he's already died and his blood already was shed for me. And I put my faith in him. I repented of my sin and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And because I, I've done that, Jesus or God looks down at me and he sees his son and I'm covered by his blood. He sees the blood in my life, protects me. He watches over me. Just a beautiful truth about the applied blood and entering in the way that God has described. In verse 14, Moses gives instruction now for this feast of unleavened bread. Here's the different feast. Again, it's, it's the second part or a, a separate feast, the seven-day memorial time here because during this time, the people were not to eat the bread. Now, remember, this we're not in chronological order. We're going to get that later. This is just how the Israelites were to worship God in the feast, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread here. Leaven is always throughout the Bible a picture of sin. It's a picture of sin because a little leaven in the bread, what does it do? <laughs> it puffs up the bread. Just like a little bit of sin in your life is going to puff up, take over. Verse 14, so this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance, seven days. 
They're going to eat unleavened bread. So first they would feast on the lamb. And then for seven days, they would eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your house. In other words, you're going to look for it. You go everywhere in your house and you find the leaven and get it out of there. We don't want leaven in your food. We don't want leaven in your house. For whoever eats leavened bread from this first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, verse 16, there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day, there's going to be a holy convocation for you. No matter, uh, no manner of work shall be done on those two days. So the first day, seventh day, no work. You were just to worship. You could go to work these other days, but you could not eat bread that had leaven in it. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, verse 17, and on the same day I will uh, have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, the same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. That's important. So you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings or eat unleavened bread. How many times have we heard leaven or unleavened just now? I think the seven or eight times. This is really important to God. Don't, don't think that this is not important to God. What's with the leaven and the bread? Who cares, you know? God cares. And the representation, again, is sin. He wants sin out of your life. As a Christian, you come to the Lord and you're saved. God eradicates the sin, your past sin. You're sanctified in your present condition as a Christian before the Lord. And what that means is he sets you apart from the sin you're going to sin. Why? Flesh. Eyes, ears, heart, mind. Man, it's, it just wants what it wants, right? And until this body is changed and transformed at either the rapture or through death, I'm going to sin. Remember when we were studying the letter, the epistle of John. If you say you don't have sin... What did John say you were? A liar. A liar. There's no holy Joes. There's, you know, we're just saved sinners. We should sin less and less and less in our life, but we are set apart from our sin daily because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're saved from past sin. We're saved from the consequence of daily sinning through this act of sanctification, being set apart. And in the future, when we're glorified and we have the new body, that's when we're not even hassled with sin anymore, and we're in heaven forever, praise God. But this Feast of Unleavened Bread, again, really important. No leaven was to be eaten, eaten because of the reminder that we don't want sin in the people. Now, in verses 21 through 23, Moses explains the Passover. And Moses called for the elders, verse 21, of Israel, and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb, not lambs. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. 
For the Lord will pass through the strike. The Don't even open the window and stick your head out to see. That's what it means. Stay in your house. It's dangerous out there. You're going to die. If you don't obey what happens, you're going to die, the firstborn in that home. And so he says, stay in there till morning. Put the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost. The Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroying angel, the destroyer, to come into your house to strike you, plague you. That word strike is the word plague. So that bunch of hyssop there that was applied they would take this hyssop, which really is kind of a weed. It's kind of like a mustard plant. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a wild-growing plant. To take a bunch of it and then put it in the blood and, and then just kind of sprinkle it and, and smear it on the doorposts and the lentil. That was the idea there. Throughout the scripture, hyssop is, is used in this area of applying blood or cleansing sin. You always see these plants uh, together in Leviticus, I don't have the scripture for you, but let me just read what it says. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, the scarlet, the hyssop, and dip them in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. So this was just a, a way to atone for sin, but the hyssop was used there. Hyssop was offered to Jesus while he was on the cross. David, in his great psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, this is a great verse, look at this one. He says, purge me with what? Hyssop, and I will be clean. So to these people, hyssop was very important. It was a, a plant that represented the cleansing of the sinner. And then notice here in verse 23, when he sees the blood, the Lord will pass over. So the Lord's looking for the blood. He's looking at every individual. He's looking. Who received the, sac- the, the Passover? Who is being obedient. Who is faithful? The Lord is looking for the blood. And the blood, it was, it was because of the blood that people, if they obeyed by smearing it, that people would then be spared, that they would be saved from judgment. So the rescue from the angel of death. This is kind of an interesting thought. It didn't happen through prayer. It didn't happen through petition. It didn't happen through fasting. It didn't happen through good works. It was only one way. It was one life given on behalf of another. Sound familiar? Throughout this beautiful, beautiful story. In Mark 10, here's a verse I'm going to throw up behind me on the screen. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a what? A ransom. Jesus. He's the Pascal lamb. He's the Passover lamb. Now notice Moses tells him, here's my next point here, verse 24, the Passover was to be remembered. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you. So I'm going to lead you to Canaan. That's where you were going. But you're, when you get there, you're going you're gonna to do this over and over every year, the same time that I've prescribed it for you. He says, I will, uh, I'll give you that land just as I promised, and you shall keep this service. You've got to do this. This is an order. And it shall be, verse 26, when your children say to you, Daddy, what's going on with the service? Why do we have to do this? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. 
when he plagued, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. I love that. And even in the modern Seder feast, there's this time where you look around, somebody goes and looks around the Seder feast, and what what are they doing? And there's a child that asks the question, why are we doing this, Father? And, And the father, the mother would explain to the children, God wanted this to be remembered. Again, so significant. We look back at the, the, uh, both of these stories, the, the story of the Passover. We look back at the wonderful history of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for us. We look back at those things. But boy, we should be telling everybody in our household, Daddy, why do we go to church? Because oh, the lamb. Because Jesus died for me. And your child gets older, you know, 10 years old, 12 years, they know more. They, they know more when they're 12, right? Dad, why do I have to go to church? Because of the lamp, son. And then when they get to be a teenager, I don't want to go to church anymore, Dad. Well, we're going to go because this is where we hear about the lamb. The lamb that was slain for your sins. The lamb that you need to personally receive, Jesus Christ. You need to repent and believe in him, the lamb. So they were to remember and the story was to be told over and over again. And then notice there at the end of verse 27, So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. This is kind of a a really important place in this story because they haven't worshiped. Why? Because Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. Remember, over and over and over. If you go to chapter 7, verse 16, God says, Let my people go that they might serve that worship, that word worship, serve me. I want them to worship me. Chapter 8, verse 1. Let my people go that they might serve me. Chapter 8, verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me, the first plague. Take them away from my people, Pharaoh says, and I'll let the people go that they might sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh knew that was what he was supposed to do, but the people haven't been let go. Chapter 8, verse 20. Chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 13. Chapter 10, verse 3. Let my people go. They haven't worshipped. But here we are, chapter 12, verse 27. So the people, they bowed their head and they worshipped. The night of their the, the, the night that they're saved by the blood, the night of destruction, the death angels coming, they worship the Lord. And they carry that out really for the first time since Moses came to deliver them. And then notice the people's obedience. I love this. So the people bowed their heads. They worship. Verse 28. And the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, and they did that. What did they do? They worshiped. They did what the Lord commanded. The Lord wanted them to worship. The word shaka. Shaka is the Hebrew word, and it means to bow down. It means to show respect or honor by bowing down. I mean, that's, that's what these people would do. They would lay it out and worship the Lord. They just lay down. You see uh, in the Middle East, you know, people on, on mats. Shaka means to just bow down and, and show respect. That's what God wants from his people. He wants us to bow down before him. Why do you guys spend so much time at Calvary Chapel worshiping the Lord? We're bowing down. We're giving the Lord his due. This is what he created us for, to worship him forever. 
And we have the honor to do that. I'm so grateful for our, the young people that lead us in the worship. I hope you are too. It's a blessing to worship the Lord. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, you must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And then later in John chapter 4, he says, those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. That's what God wants from you and I. He wants us honestly to come to him and worship him. And when we do that, when we lay our burden down, when we come to him and we worship him, oh, he, clarity comes. In a world that's so confused and there's so much contention and turmoil, clarity comes when we come before the Lord and we worship him. Peter says that as believers, that we're to proclaim his praise. This is one of my favorite verses here in 1 Peter. He says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And here's our responsibility, church. Here it is that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a glorious plan that he has for you and I. We're to proclaim his praises. So these Israelites now, they're worshiping God. They're doing what God had, had wanted them to do. They're doing it out of obedience. They bowed their heads and they worshiped. And as they do that, God fulfills their needs. God fulfills his desire in their lives. Again, I, I love the way uh, this story is presented, but it is presented out of chronological order. And it's here in verse 29 that we kind of get the story in its order. Notice verse 29, the point here is the Passover night, verse 29, and it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of a captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So everything happened just as God had said. Just like every other plague, it happened exactly the way God had said. Every firstborn, animal and man, died that night in Egypt from the most powerful son of Pharaoh, firstborn to the lowliest slave or criminal in prison, firstborn. They all were struck with a, this 10th plague. And as we've seen, and I brought this up last week, but I just didn't want to hesitate to miss this again. God is striking out against the false gods of Egypt. It's Isis here, the goddess of fertility, of motherhood, of rebirth. She's a protector of the children. So God strikes Isis by killing the firstborn in Egypt. But it's also Pharaoh's hard heart. God's been working on his hard heart, right? His heart was hard. He disobeyed God, so God made it harder. Then he hardened his heart, Pharaoh heart. Then God hardened his heart even more. Throughout these plagues, God has been working on this man's heart, and finally it's been broken. You see that here in this, this section it's so interesting to me when I have an opportunity to share with someone the gospel and tell them about the Lord. You've, you've been there. You've told people about Jesus Christ, and their hearts are so hard. They just they don't want to receive the Lord. They, they get all tense. They shift the conversation. They, they you know get up and walk out of the room, whatever it might be. Their hearts are hard. They don't want to repent and believe. 
We just need to pray that the Lord would soften our heart. In this case, this Pharaoh's finally, his heart's finally softened. So Pharaoh, verse 30, rose in the night. He, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night, Pharaoh does. Rise and go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve, go worship the God that you have said. Also, take all your flocks. Remember some of the deals through the plagues. Well, you can go, but don't take your kids. Well, you can go, but don't take your wives. You can, you can go, but don't take your animals. They belong here. And finally, everything goes. Pharaoh's like, I don't want anything left. You take it all. Get it out of here. And then notice what he says in the middle of ver- or the end of verse 32. And bless me also. Wow. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land. So all the Egyptians wanted all the Israelites out of there. Not only Pharaoh, but all the Egyptian people. They want them all gone. And the reason is, notice at the end of verse 33, we don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe we're next. If, if someone else in our family dies, is God going to kill all of us? Get out of here. They, they wanted the Israelites they didn't know what to think. They didn't know what was going to happen next. Pharaoh has now ordered all the Egyptians or all the Israelites out of his country exactly what God said would happen. But remember God said, Moses, he's not going to do it all at once. It's going to take a while to get him there. You just keep going and obeying. You just go back and do what I told you. You do it again. Do it over and over. And finally, he's going to obey. And that's exactly the way the story turns out back in chapter 11 verse 1 and the Lord said to Moses I will bring yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt after he will let you go from here and when he lets you go he'll surely drive you out here out of here altogether so it was this last plague that caused Pharaoh to chase really chase them out but that little statement there at the end of verse 32 and bless me also After all the strikes, after all the plagues, after all the difficulty, after the the magicians actually turned on Pharaoh, remember? After all the things that happened in Egypt, after everything's over, guess what happens in Pharaoh's heart? He finally recognizes who Yahweh is, doesn't he? And he says, ask your God, the most powerful God, ask him to bless me also. Isn't that an interesting comment? from this man. He believes in the living God, and he asks to be blessed. Verse 34, so the people took their dough, (laughs) not money. This is the unleavened bread here, before it was leavened. Having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes and on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel, verse 35, had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked for the Egyptian articles of silver and gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Remember, the Egyptians were like, take it, get out of here, take our gold, take our money, take this. What was all that about? Remember, it was the plunder. It was the repayment for God's people being in captivity for 400 years. They were slaves. They weren't paid anything, but they're getting paid. God is is sending them away with all the things that they would need. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. They granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Back payment here for the years of being a slave. I, I love that. 
And then verse 37, Israel leaves Egypt. Here it is. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. Succoth means shelter. They went from this place where they were threatened to a place we don't know where it was. We don't know how far away it was. Could have been a city somewhere. How many are there? Look what it says here. 600,000 men, not counting the children, not counting the wives, not counting the older, elder people. I wouldn't have been counted in this. It was only the young fighting men were counted, 600,000. There have been a lot of study and calculations done, and that's how we get to the number of about 2 million people when you count all of them and the children and everyone. And then verse 38, a mixed multitude went up. What's that? What's that about? The mixed multitude. These are the, some of the Egyptians that obeyed. There was a mixed. They weren't all the children of Israel. They were mixed. There were some also that were obedient to God's command. And then there was flocks and herds and livestock, verse 39, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought in those bowls. Remember, there was no time to put leaven in them. They, again, this, this speaks about not bringing sin with you. Leave the leaven out. Get out of Egypt. Get out of that place without any sin. Come away. That's really what God was doing there. And they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. So there there are, two million people. They've been delivered. They've been freed by God in a miraculous set of plagues or strikes against the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh and the people. And finally, those people drive them out. Isn't that fantastic? Only God could do this. One man could never do this. It's God working through Moses, using Moses as his prophet and Aaron. God has proven that he is Yahweh, that he is Lord, that there is none like him, that he is powerful, and he's delivered his people by power and by and through the blood. Again, God was looking for the blood that night, verse 23. When he sees the blood on the doorpost, the lentil, he's going to pass over. It's always the blood. It's always obedience to the command of God. For you and I, here's the application. It's obedience. God wants you and I to be obedient. In all the things we do, we must be obedient. It's not enough to just know it, to read the scriptures. You must be obedient. And I'm not talking legalism. We're going to get to legalism big time this Sunday in our story in Mark. I challenge you to read those verses in Mark chapter 2. They were so legalistic. that We're not talking about legalism. We're talking about obedience to the Lord. In the area of speech, obedience to the Lord, Ephesians 4.30. In the area of service and worship, again, in obedience to the scriptures, not out of legalism, but out of love for the Lord. What a joy it is to serve God. What a joy to give to God. If you're not a big giver, I, I would just say you, you haven't experienced the joy that God, God wants to use you. He wants you to give. Oh, pastor, I don't make very much money. Well, just give what you can. The joy of the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver, and that includes serving. Don't just stay away from church and 
and well, we hired Pastor Lee and the staff to do those things. No, jump in. And I, I, I love this. I come on Sunday morning and I see, you know, uh, Malco and I see Pastor Chris and I see um, uh, uh, Dr. Brian and all these people but just with a leaf blower in the back, you know, seven in the morning. Or during the week, you know, Harold shows up, or Ernie's here doing stuff, or our ushers are here early to make things happen, and Sunday school staff comes in to serve. Oh, I love that. When you invest yourself, your time, your treasure, your talents, it's, that's, that's where you receive joy. It's obedience as a Christian, not legalism. I don't do this because I have to. I do this because I get to. And when you have that attitude, it's, it just... Man, who cares about work tomorrow? Who cares about any of the turmoil going on politically? It doesn't matter because I'm with God's people. I'm serving the Lord. I'm worshiping him. It's, it's so important to be obedient. These people in this story weren't delivered out of bondage because they were religious. They weren't delivered because they went to church. They weren't delivered because they were good or kind or any of those things. They were delivered through the blood. They were delivered through obedience and by faith. They put their trust in the Lord and they obeyed. So the only people that were saved that night were those that believed, those that sprinkled the blood. In Hebrews 9, again, I showed you this verse earlier, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. God still requires blood for the atoning sacrifice for sin. Man, I, I, I pray that every one of us would walk out with a bowl of unleavened bread tonight. Leave your sin here. Ask God to forgive you and leave it here. If you're not a Christian, believe and receive Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, you'll walk out of here with no leaven. I, I can say that there's no leaven in my bread tonight because of what Jesus has done for me. He'll do it for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the scriptures. I thank you for this, this awesome history. This feast that you required your people, the children of Israel, the Jews, the Hebrews, to, to keep in, in practice once a year forever, to explain, to communicate to their children the blood sacrifice, the deliverance that you've performed by your great works for your people and, and how it pictures Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Father, thank you. I pray that each one here tonight would understand, that they would get it, that they would get so excited about what they have in Christ and who they are in Christ. We're forgiven because we have the blood. Help us to choose not to take sin anywhere, to confess it, and to live in obedience. For your honor, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.